Digital Marketing Radio, episode 248. How to produce SERP-topping viral B2B content. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, keeping you on top of the latest tools, tactics and digital marketing trends. Now, it's common to have SEOs and social media experts in digital marketing teams, but unfortunately, it's also too common to have SEOs and social media marketers produce content by themselves for their own specific needs. What would happen if SEOs and social media marketers worked more closely together with each other, producing incredible content that's more powerful than the sum of its parts? That's what I'm going to be talking about on Digital Marketing Radio episode 248 with a man who whose content has been featured on Shopify, Unbounce, HubSpot, just to name three. He lives in Hawaii and he's the CEO at Wordable. Welcome to DMR, Brad Smith. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Um, looking forward to this. Yeah, great to have you on, Brad. Well, I would just say you can find Brad's over at wordable.io. So, uh, Brad, when working on a piece of content... Is it possible to optimize for SEO and virality at the same time? Or should you focus primarily on just the one objective? Uh, it should be both. It is possible. Uh, it's not easy, as you can imagine, and we'll go into like why that is. Uh, but you should. And the reason for that is if you are investing a significant amount in this stuff, which, again, you should be based on how difficult the world is and how, how difficult and how, how, how crowded it is and how much of an echo chamber it already is. Um, if you're going to the effort and expense of doing one or the other, you might as well do both at the same time, if you know what I mean. And we're talking about primarily about B2B content, but I mean, what's the main difference between B2B and B2C content? Uh, B2B buyers tend to invest a lot more time and energy researching things up front because there's, g- generally speaking, it's it's a lot less of an impulse buy. So in other words, if you're uh, promoting uh, you know, $50 to $100 e-commerce product, uh, someone might just buy that without even looking at it. I might just buy a watch on Amazon just because it looked right in, in that moment. And I don't really care about researching it. I don't really care about the specs. I don't really care about uh, necessarily like the movement behind it. Uh, whereas B2B buyers and tend to be a lot longer. So it's more, it's more of a complex sale. And what that means is uh, people will do research for weeks and months. And what we see, for, for example, even in our own company, a lot of our best clients and customers will, will convert within uh, like 30 days. And that's not because we're an amazing, you know, that's not because we're amazing at sales. It's because they're already pre-sold in a sense before they even come to us. And so con- a lot of the content we're producing obviously is, is is meant to help guide them through that again, without even picking up the phone. So we're zeroing in on B2B obviously, and, and what um, makes that a success in terms of um, the content that you produce. So what are some of the common elements that makes a successful B2B piece? Definitely. So we, um, we almost think of it as like a, a checklist or like a balanced scorecard in a sense. So it's like it's got to have these elements and they have to be done to a certain degree or certain and and balanced scorecard, meaning uh, part of that's SEO focus. Part of that is actually like copywriting focus. So is there a hook? Is there an angle? Is there actually something interesting that's that is uh, reaching out to someone's like lizard brain and, and getting them to sit down and read this thing and focus on it? Um, there's also the grammar. There's also plagiarism. There's also design. There's also video in some cases, depending on what we're talking about. And so it's kind of like a, a, a balanced mix of different variables that we want to see. Um, and again, I'm, I'm happy to get into all those independently, but that, that's generally speaking, again, if, if you're going to the, the effort and the expense uh, to do all this stuff, then again, let's, let's do it right. So 
you mentioned lizard brain, you mentioned plagiarism as well. Uh, I assume you're not looking to copy any existing article out there. No, what happens a lot, unfortunately, uh, is that people, especially writers who don't always know what they're talking about. So, you know, read uh, less expensive writers, uh, writers who aren't subject matter experts, what they'll often do. And, and we, we will all tell them it needs to be it needs to match search intent. So so go look at what's already ranking, try to reverse engineer what they're already doing well and, and follow those things. So what, again, uh, not very good practitioners do is they go and they look and they basically regurgitate what's already ranking. So in other words, they take the first three articles and they look at, oh, OK, they're talking about this and this and this. And then they basically just write the same exact thing. And so it's not plagiarism. It's not direct plagiarism in a classic sense. But it's it's I'm, I'm we think of it almost like as indirect plagiarism where it's like, well, you're not really adding anything new and you're not really helping the, the to further, uh, you know, the, the cause. So that's that's also a pretty common issue. And again, it's one of those things that unless you're looking for it and unless you're actually uh, digging into a lot of the stuff and you have editors going through it. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to catch. So how can you actually research what else Google is looking for? If you're wanting to rank for a particular keyword phrase and you see articles out there already that are fairly decent, that are fairly similar, as you say, they contain maybe a, a certain type of answer. How do you discover new opportunities, new things to write about that will give you a better opportunity to actually rank higher than the existing articles? Sure. So it's kind of a mix uh, of approaches. So again, if, assuming we're already skipping over a little bit keyword research. So assuming we've already done a little bit of work to figure out, you know, can we actually rank for this thing uh, sometime in the near future? Um, that, that's not an insignificant step. And so if we're, if we're kind of like glossing over that a little bit, just to dive into, okay, we've already decided this topic, we've already decided this keyword. Um, one of the easiest things you could do is just go to Google to start with and look at what's already ranking, like I said. And again, there's there's a fine line that you're going to walk here. But what's important is to figure out what type of content should we be writing in the first place? So in other words, if I type in or if I'm looking for uh, a question that's an education-based uh, question, like how to make iced coffee, um, I know that's probably going to be a blog article that's showing up for that. It's probably going to be some sort of blog post, some sort of article, I'm guessing around the 1,000 word. Uh, ish range. Is there an image gallery? Um, is there uh, like what type of info? Is there a video? There, there's probably a video and there's probably a lot of video showing up for that sort of thing. So in other words, like, is it not a landing page? Is it not a feature page? It's not like a Keurig uh, uh, Amazon page showing up for how to make iced coffee because that that search, there's a mismatch in terms of search intent, in terms of what people are searching for and what you're showing them. So, so very first step is like, what type of content are we trying to do? Um, second step is like, what's already ranking and why? And so in other words, uh, if one of the, the best, there's, there's two places to look that that's great on the actual SERP itself. If you look at the people also ask questions, it's usually a little drop down. Uh, that's a really good place to look and especially get ideas for what your subhead should be. So how to make iced coffee. Uh, I'm not looking at it right now, but I'm probably guessing it's like, um, uh, how to make cold brew, like uh, as an alternative to, uh, to make iced coffee. How do you make iced coffee at home? Uh, how do you make iced coffee like Starbucks? Uh, th there's going to be like a few of these different ideas. And those are like really good um, starting points for, again, like what your major subheads or themes should be within a piece. You could also go down to the very bottom, which will be related searches. Uh, and again, this shows you a lot of the same information. So it'll show you if people are searching for how to make iced coffee, they're often also searching for how to make, how to make iced coffee like Starbucks at home, on the road, uh, in a Keurig, like all these related ideas. And, and what you're doing is you're kind of like gathering all this stuff up. We also use a lot more specialized tools for this, as you can imagine. So one of them is Market Muse that we love. 
basically, uh, and we also use ClearScope, um, Surfer SEO is another bigger one. What these tools often do that most people get wrong is they're trying to help you understand what semantic topics, what related topics should be included when you talk about keyword or topic X. And uh, the fine line here is making sure you're including a lot of that information and you're referencing it, but you're not sticking to it blindly so that you're you're producing something that's dry. It's it's not interesting. It's basically generic ripoff of what else is already out there. Um, and so that's where the copywriting comes in. That's where the lizard brain comes in. That's where customer stories come in. Um, that's where that's like the, the other side of it. So it's kind of a, a yin and yang approach if that makes sense. I love people also asking Google and that, that's something that I use all the time as well. I actually use it to suggest to clients how to actually come up with ideas for podcast episodes. So very kind of very similar kind of thing as well. If they're creating a a podcast series about a particular topic i say go into that uh, type of question about the topic and expand on the questions i love it. i love how you click on the questions and you get more questions once you actually click on the questions as well um i i i search quickly for how to make iced coffee and it says how do you make um iced coffee with regular coffee how do you make coffee yeah so, so a lot of the things that you suggested there as well um wonderful resource i used to use um answer the public but uh, they limited their free version, I think, um, in, in, in the last couple of years. So I haven't used it quite so much. Well, one thing that you mentioned um, was you have a look at a blog article that exists already. There's probably a blog article out there of about a thousand words. You also talked about video as well. Is it good practice to have articles of a certain length, i.e. a thousand words, or does it need to be just as long as it needs to be? And just second part to that, does video and embedding video help as well? Yeah, so the short answer we give for word count is, again, generally mimic what's out there. In other words, if if what's already ranking are a bunch of 500 to 1,000 word articles, then you probably don't need something that's 5,000 words. Uh, but conversely, if you have a lot of long technical guides ranking, which you often do in B2B, especially competitive spaces like software, um, then something that's 500 words to 1,000 words isn't going to be able to compete well. So again, this is one of those things that I, we, we can use specialized tools for, or you can just do it the manual way of opening the top five articles and then uh, actually copying and pasting them into Google Docs and then looking at the word count. Like, you don't need to get technical about this. They just A lot of the tools will save a lot of time. Um, so that's the first issue is generally say, just just mimic what's out there and make it close, if not a little better uh, in terms of word count. So you don't need to, again, you don't need to go overboard on that. The, the second thing, uh, video helps a lot, but not for the reasons you're thinking. So video can help with SEO if, um, again, if you, if you kind of know what you're doing, but also if you know that a lot of videos are actually showing up in search results. Um, so you kind of have that blended SERP, in it, so to speak, where you have a lot of videos. And this often, um, for example, I think HubSpot tutorial. If you Googled HubSpot tutorial, uh, I want to say a lot of the content ranking are actually just videos. And a lot of them are videos from YouTube. So in a case like that, it's, it's obvious that you might want to take a video first approach. Um, in other forms of content, video helps with uh, engagement, especially in the B2B space. Engagement, so keeping people on the page and reading it. And, and it helps a little more in actually driving like the action you want. So are we trying to get an opt-in? Are we trying to get them to read another article? Um, how do we keep them on the page? And if we keep people on the page and we keep people happy and they return to that page, then there's also a better chance we're probably going to rank, even though, again, these are these tend to be a little more indirect in terms of, uh, you know, actual ranking factors. And... We've already mentioned the fact that you've published quite a few articles on, on many other top websites out there. Is it best to publish an article, a significant article on your own website and try and build your website as an authority 
uh, on that particular topic, but you're not necessarily going to get that many eyeballs initially to that, or is it best to actually try and publish your article on a third-party website? You're not building up the authority to your own website, but you're potentially getting more eyeballs on it to begin with. Definitely. Uh, if you're newer or smaller and you don't have the awareness, you don't have the domain authority, you don't have the traffic, you don't have the brand, like the brand, meaning like people aren't coming and searching for you, it's probably better to spend your time on bigger websites and contributing there. The other thing that I'll throw out though is, is think of it like a hub and spoke approach. So I'll always try to put your good foundational ideas and content on your site and think of stuff off the site as an extension of that. So in other words, if you took, uh, I don't know, some like, especially in the B2B space, some, some guide to uh, making iced coffee. I don't know. We're, we're going to do like a B2B iced coffee uh, where we sell to like uh, to, to retailers instead of um, people directly. But like it, if you want to put like the big in-depth awesome guide there and that's where you put the video and that's where you put the extra design. And then when you're going out to all these big places, you're essentially just repurposing content. So you're using the same ideas. Um, you're using a lot of the same uh, graphics even. And the benefit of this is you already know what works and what doesn't. So if I'm going to go publish on a big site, I want to make sure that it's actually going to do well and that people are going to see it and love it. And the, the reason or the way I'm going to do that is by knowing already what topics are going to be successful, what headlines are going to be successful, because I've already done it five other times. You know what I mean? So we'll come on to discussing the software that you can live without and um, other questions like that just in a bit. Um, someone previously mentioned conversion.ai, um, Jarvis as a tool that they couldn't live without. Now, that's a, an automated way of generating content using AI. Do you ever advocate, have you ever, ever trialed the accuracy and readability of maybe taking an original article from your blog, recreating it using AI, and then attempting to publish that version on another website? Yeah, AI, uh, the good news, the bad news with AI so far that we've tested is that it's not replacing writers anytime soon, uh, full stop. Um, the reason for that is it, it does a decent job regurgitating fact-based information. So it's very binary, meaning it's very black and white. It doesn't understand nuance or context. It doesn't even understand kind of what it's talking about. What it's do A lot of times what it's doing is it's just grabbing, almost like we're talking about uh, mimicking what's already on, what's already ranking for in search engines is kind of doing a similar process where it's just taking in a lot of data and then kind of saying, okay, a lot of these words and phrases should fit together. Um, the challenge with that is, is there's very little nuance. Like I said, it's very difficult in the B2B space to get something, uh, awesome. So if it was like, um, how to make iced coffee again, even has a little bit of subjectivity, but if it was like, uh, the, you know, I don't know the, the benefits of Advil, uh, it could maybe do a decent, it could maybe do a decent job at that because it's all just like, uh, fact-based information. You know what I mean? But if you said the pros and cons of Advil or Advil versus ibuprofen, that's where you're going to run into all kinds of challenges and problems because it doesn't, it doesn't really understand again, what it's talking about. And it's, and it lacks, um, the other thing that it lacks that I think is a big deal with content today is, uh, it lacks personality and style and substance. And so what's the thing that's actually going to get people to read this and care and come back and, and remember, Oh, this brand, uh, now I remember this brand. I'm going to actually try to like see if they can help me in the future. Um, all the, all the benefits of like a magazine article, like a, a really interesting feature or profile, the style, uh, all that is, you know, lacking, uh, unfortunately. And so that's where uh, we've seen AI content can help in very limited. It can help you figure out more or less what to write about. It can help you figure out like 
short short copy. So I don't know, like a product description maybe. But but in terms of like longer in depth, interesting articles, it, it lacks a bit. Okay, I'm I'm old enough and experienced enough in SEO to remember spinning articles. So back about yep. fifteen plus years ago, um, you used to take different phrases and um, add curly brackets around them and and give um, whatever tool you were using options to, to to spin different phrases and create alleged unique articles out of that. Maybe AI's is a more progressed version of that, I guess, for delivering new yeah. new articles. It's like it's like article spinning 2.0. Uh, no, it's, it's a little. <laughs> It's definitely better than that because I, I remember a lot of the article spinning stuff back in the day didn't even make sense. And, and, and mm. like the, the words in the sentence didn't even make a sense together. Uh, yeah. So it's better than it's better than that. The challenge is you often still need an editor and or a writer to run through it. So if, if you think of it as like maybe a rough outline or a rough draft that you're still going to have mm-hmm. a writer go through, it's still it still can save some time. So don't that's yeah. not again, that's not especially if you're doing high volume. That's that's a good thing. Uh, you you still want some eyeballs going through that after that? Yeah, well, one thing that I've done in the past is I've I've hosted mega live streams and then turned them into transcripts and then turned those transcripts into books and then I've had to do a lot of rewriting of the transcript, basically mm-hmm. restarting the book from from fresh because you realise that actually people don't write the, the same way that they they say things. Um, totally. So I'm I'm thinking about the possibility of putting transcripts into the AI to see what it comes up with, to see if it can actually come up with a slightly better way of putting it before doing a further edit after that. But uh, it, it certainly wouldn't be the final production. It, it's, it's more of an experiment, I think, at this stage. I think it's a really good idea. I think combining approaches too, like that makes a lot of sense. Because if you think of a podcast even like this, uh, all the content we're talking about today is great, but it's not search focused at all. And it's going to, mm-hmm. and I'm I, as the guest, I know this, I'm going to bounce around way too much for you to, to create like a, to take this transcript and create a really good article that's just focused on a very particular topic or very specific topic in search. Um, so it could be an interesting approach to almost combine the two worlds of like the AI cert based stuff. Uh, that's a little more dry and technical um, with the transcript stuff and try to find a middle ground where you can, mm. you can kind of possibly do both. But I, I think it's interesting. I think, I think that's kind of what you have to do still is get creative with its, uh, with the uses. Cause it's again, probably one day, like, don't get me wrong, probably one day, uh, we'll all be out of a job because machines will just be doing all the content. But, um, but until, until then, uh, we're, we're not there yet. Yeah. I, I think blending a couple of approaches will probably give you, um, uh, more likely to give you a better result. Um, I, I'm using otter.ai to create transcripts at the moment. And it's, it's a wonderful, accurate, um, relatively accurate um, piece of software. I would say it's just, it, uh, it's only marginally worse than something like Rev, um, yep. Rev.com. Um, uh, you even have to go in and edit there. Um, and then they obviously use human um, editor, editors as well. It's, it's You really need to go the extra mile, though, if you, if you want to deliver high quality content. I'll tell you what, we've majored on SEO and I guess the quality of content quite a bit. I'd like to just ask you one other question with regards to the production of articles. And we we, we were talking about the virality of articles and how do you make articles successful in social media as well as SEO. Um, So what's maybe one tip um, that you could offer to add more virality, likelihood of sharing to articles um, to, to, to make it a success from that perspective as well? Totally. Yeah. So if we if we go back to the lizard brain for a second, um, there's a really good everyone should go to I think it's still live, maybe headlinehacks.com uh, from John Mara, who used to be or is that smart blogger now? Is that still the name? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He used to be a copy blogger back in the day. Uh, he's like a, a brilliant, brilliant copywriter and marketing writer. More people should write like him uh, in my in, in my humble opinion. Uh, 
headline hacks often it will break down all these different headline frameworks and formulas down into like five different themes. So in other words, um, the threat of external mistakes, like how do you protect yourself? The, uh, or excuse me, the internal mistakes that you're already making and how do you, you know, stop doing that? You're, you're self-inflicting harm. The, uh, the external threats that, uh, are out there and they're going to get you if you don't do XYZ or if you don't, you know, um, help that. Or conversely on the other side, like Zen, like the XYZ hacks, uh, to do something. It's the simple, uh, less time consuming, less painful way to lose weight, uh, all those types of ideas. So I think you need to start in all the content you produce, especially in B2B where things tech to, tend to be dry and boring. Um, and especially on social where again, if, if you don't have some of these ingredients, you, what you what you need to do is like cut through the clutter. And these are all like time tested, uh, proven kind of old school copywriting ways to, to, to quickly separate your content out and jump out. The other mix on that is to do things that uh, like you can riff and, and piggyback on on cultural things that are already happening. And so a really good example of this, uh, one of our friends, Gaetano, um, over at Nextiva did a, a LinkedIn, did a video where he went to a mall and was trying to like approach strangers and uh, ask them or basically read off uh, LinkedIn, cold LinkedIn messages uh, just to kind of just to kind of show like how absurd that is mm. and and yeah. how like awful most LinkedIn messages are and mo how most people act on LinkedIn, doing it in real life at a mall to strangers and then eventually getting kicked out of the mall, as you can imagine. So he just, they just like came up with this random idea, took their iPhone, filmed it. They didn't like script anything. They didn't even have to like do much work. And it ended up like blowing up, as you could imagine, and getting tons and tons and tons of views. And so, um, that, that's where you can definitely be a little more creative with the format. So if you're doing something with social, um, it's it's got to be some type of video. It's got to be some sort of mix of like entertainment with, again, like the the kind of copywriting ideas. I love that. And that's so funny about um, the, the more idea and the, <laughs> the same introductions as what people use on LinkedIn, because it's just terrific half the messages yeah. you re receive. It's so obvious that people just haven't looked at what you do and they just immediately want to sell their own services and what they do and it's just just so off-putting please yep. change it change it up people <laughs> if you're listening if, if you're if you're doing that at the moment and, and that uh, resource that you mentioned headline hacks that's still alive at the moment that gets forwarded to a page it looks like a lead pages landing page um so you, you can sign up and get the 52 headline hacks there as well but um let's segue to part two of our discussion it's now time for brad's, uh, brad's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today so starting off with secret software so brad share a lesser known martech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you yeah definitely uh it would be completely self-serving to mention my own tool so i won't uh what i'll what i'll mention instead and this everyone knows this tool but i think i've been using loom uh multiple times a day uh for everything for like martech related so in in ways that people maybe don't so a lot of people might use like loom for uh i don't know just simple internal like memos in in a way um i use it for talking to clients i use it for i'll, I'll put up i'll use it for talking to customers um if you think of things like Martech tends to be a lot of uh, tends to be acquisition focused, meaning a lot of Martech tools and marketers and myself included, we tend to be very focused on acquisition, meaning like SEO, content, social, how we're going to bring people into the funnel. Uh, but where we often should be spending more of our time is like uh, helping customers and clients and actual like customer service and keeping people around and keeping them happy. And uh, and so that's where I'm using Loom multiple times a day uh, with a video like this. I'll do a screen share, but I'll also use the video so I can kind of communicate to people 
And, uh, and that personal touch, I think, makes a huge impact to people spread across time zones. So A, there's nothing lost in translation, meaning if I just type out a bunch of texts or a long, at, a long email to someone, that's going to be confusing. Or if I'm, especially if I'm venturing in anything technical, it's going to be, you can't always get the intent behind it. So even if I'm pushing back on something, uh, someone's not going to be able to understand that properly. Whereas if I can create a video like this, I can kind of walk through that uh, thought process and, and kind of um, connect a little more uh, personally with people. And I think that makes a big difference in a world that uh, is increasingly uh, disconnected and, uh, and, and especially in a world where like I'm off, we're all doing everything or a lot of us are doing it, things today asynchronously. And I don't think that'll change anytime soon. So I might not even talk to these people and have an actual conversation like we're having now. Um, but a lot of these little touch points help a lot, I think. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Loom has been recommended before. So it's, it's certainly a great platform. Um, I'm intending to use it at some point, and I guess once I integrate it a little bit more into to, to what I'm doing, I think it's a great tool for doing things like once someone becomes a customer, sending them a personal video, thanking them for signing up, and maybe um, demonstrating that you've checked out their website or know something personal about them as well. Uh, I, 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 I just feel that um, automation for the sake of automation without any personalization can sometimes have a detrimental effect, but real personalization uh, aided by automation can make a massive difference in terms of the building of relationships. Totally. Yeah. I've been, I've been like just emailing customers recently, randomly. I'll just email them and be like, Hey, I'm just looking at our, I'm looking at our admin section of our app and I'm saying, Oh, okay. I noticed you, you know, I noticed this worked or this didn't work. If something doesn't work, I'll often, I'll try to see that and then reach out proactively. So like they may have not even reached out to customer support. They may not have even like tried to, you know, talk to anyone to actually, they've, they've been trying to troubleshoot it themselves and I'll just manually reach out uh, and do something like that or send me, and, and I've, I've even used, I think Loom too, there's a lot of other tools like it, but it's just easy and simple and it's fast. And so I've even created like little, um, little, almost like I, I'll take like a little, like a webinar and break it down into like five or 10 minute videos with something like Loom and then use that as another way to uh, drop into emails as almost like a drip sequence. So I've even used it for more like classic kind of MarTech, you know, uh, use cases. Again, just because I find it easier than, uh, I don't know, rec uh, recording everything with like, you know, quote unquote, more professional software and then uh, uploading it to Wistia and then like grabbing and then like customizing every little detail. I, I think I think what's more important today is uh, is just like that that empathy and that connection uh, a lot of times in a lot of cases. And if, if we're not a huge company, if you're not already a huge conglomerate, then don't, don't maybe act like one. Just act more personal because I think that's what you're that's what your selling point is. You know, it's, it's access to like the people who run it and the people who personally care and are personally invested in making sure that their customers are happy and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. That's one thing that I love about digital marketing today. It's much more personal. Going back 10, 15 years ago, people hid behind websites. They hid behind their own brands. They didn't do video or, or hardly anyone did video. And it's nice to see a face behind a brand and actually get a sense of the real person. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, like... Uh, B2B buyers tend to be more logical. They tend to do more research. They tend to they tend to have like more of a structured budget. But at the end of the day, a lot of times that logic is still being used to reinforce their emotional feelings. In other words, mm. if someone likes you better, they're going to buy from you, even if you're 5% more in the B2B world. Like people, I think people need to understand that too and, and still understand that there is still emotion involved in, in a B2B process. It's not like uh, it's not like people are robots, you know, in the business world. Not everyone anyway. Some people are. <laughs> 
Well, moving on from Loom, um, something that you currently use, to something that you're going to use. That is next on the list. What's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Uh, I, AI, I, I was thinking AI only because, like I said, um, we still haven't been able to kind of crack the code, so to speak, in terms of how to actually use it properly I, for, for various reasons. Um, so that's one idea. Uh, we're doing a lot of video, a lot more video, and I only see that increasing. Especially in the B2B space, we do uh, like three or 400 articles a month, and they tend to be much longer, like 2,000 words. Uh, I don't think people, for like real humans listening to this, want to read a 10,000-word article on something. I think that works right now for Google. I don't think that will work forever. And I think that the vast majority of content and digital consumption will be through video, through audio. And so I think the more you can get into that, the better. Um, and I know we're, we're getting into a lot of tools and stuff around that because I, I still don't think there are great options out there, like Ahrefs for uh, SEO and keyword research. Um, there's not a lot of good solutions right now for video in terms of everything from keyword research uh, to Wistia is great on the on the hosting side. Um, but then on the on the back end for actually promoting video content, all that. kind of, I think there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. So what would one example be like uh, Vidyard maybe off the top of my head? Um, and I know there's, there's a lot of other like really good, um, social promotion based things. I think when, when you think of, I think of marketing as like the classic marketing sense. So the old school 1960s, uh, four P's, uh, and one of those is distribution, uh, placement. And I think, again, this is something most people overlook because most marketers today just focus on, uh, they don't focus, they don't have any control over the product, over pricing, over any of this stuff. Um, distribution is also can be applied to like the distribution of the content we're creating. And so how do you do that better? Uh, if you're spending $10,000, uh, you know, segueing a, a tiny bit to your next question, if you're spending $10,000 on ads and, and your, and your cost per click is X, um, video, I can almost guarantee will reduce that cost per click by 20 to 50%, if not more. So, um, in which case you can save money or in which case you can spend a lot more money on that activity and get a lot more results. And so I, I think that that's, I think video, anything social based, especially as kind of like the forerunner is, is going, you know, to video as quickly as humanly possible. Well, a lot to think about there. Uh, let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. 10 quick questions, just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready? All right. Yes. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Link, LinkedIn for B2B, Facebook for B2C. I don't always agree with that. I, I'll, I'll Actually, I'll say Facebook. I'll go against the grain. I'll say Facebook. The reason being Facebook groups for B2B. Ooh. YouTube or podcast? YouTube. Traffic or leads? Traffic. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Ads. Google ads or Facebook ads? Google ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email. Martech stack or all-in-one platform? Martech stack. One-to-one -one or scale? One-to-one. 
<laughs> I thought that was going to be a real struggle because uh, obviously Facebook and LinkedIn was an incredible challenge. Um, yes. So you said I, I Facebook guess, groups. I, yeah. I, I'm, pre I'm presuming that you, you've tried LinkedIn groups and don't particularly like them. Yeah, I, um, I have a love-hate with LinkedIn. Uh, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of uh, most LinkedIn activity. <laughs> I feel like it's it, in trying to be more personal, it should become even more spammy. If that makes any sense. Like pe mm -hmm. people are trying the way people are using it and trying to make it more engaging and more Facebook ish are almost going the opposite direction. And it's almost like they're just, uh, people are like colleagues are commenting on each other's things. to like try to try to eke out an extra percentage of, uh, eyeballs and click through rates and people I've seen, I've literally seen, the same overall message in my feed multiple times. So in other words, you know, quote unquote influencers are just like copying and pasting what other people are saying in the space and, and seeing other people have success with. So it's just like a really weird space to me. Um, Facebook groups, uh, we've had clients uh, like Ad Espresso, which was acquired by Hootsuite, had a ton of success with creating a customer-based Facebook group. Uh, and it was kind of an amazing thing because people were able to uh, engage and talk Again, without necessarily the brand having to like do everything, uh, people were kind of like helping each other in there. And it became almost like a tight knit little organic feeling community as opposed to like a, a super businessy commercial hard sale type of community, if that makes any sense. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I thought some some ideas like that could be interesting. I, I don't know. I think some if everyone is doing something, then that means you're probably too late. If you're reading, if you hear about a tactic at a conference, uh, that means you're like six months, 12 months behind. And so I'm a little hesitant to just jump on the bandwagon, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think some brands have been burnt by Facebook's lack of organic reach with their pages. And totally. they're a little bit too scared of committing to their groups, um, feeling that the same kind of thing might happen there. Do you not think a brand may be better off attempting to build their own community on their own platform? Uh, definitely. But that wasn't the question. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, the other, the other thought, like the example I gave, I, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I want to say the the organic visibility again in the group, not the pages, because I totally agree on the pages in Facebook. Uh, the visibility was something like 70, 80, 90 percent of the people in there were like seeing everything. So it, it's if you do it right, uh, there's still some some hidden gems, so to speak. Okay, let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? This is a good question. Uh, I was going back and forth on a few different ideas. Uh, I would, and this is, some of this is going to sound crazy, but I would, I would maybe do a, if I had to think, I would do like an old school off. I don't know if this is part of the question or not, but I would do, I would do like some old school uh, conference thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is like, like getting together face to face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What we used to do in the old Crazy, days. <laughs> right? Crazy, right? Uh, assuming, assuming all this stuff is open. Um, for example, off the top of my head, smaller conferences, that tend to be influential people. Like I went to a conference that was uh, a bunch of business owners uh, and like investors and other things. So it's a small invite only community, maybe tops 200 people. Um, I sponsored it. So I don't know. That's, you know, 
three to five grand. It wasn't like a crazy amount of money as, as far as some sponsorships goes. Again, if you go to huge conferences and you're competing against like a million other vendors, I wouldn't suggest this, but I'm talking about like a, a much smaller um, community-based thing. Uh, and and then you go to like dinners afterwards. So, you know, pay for people's dinner. Uh, and I've had like tens of tens of thousands of, of dollars of new customers and stuff come out of that, even if it's six months later. And so that's probably what I would spend uh, the bulk of that 10 grand on. And then you can always combine it with some online, you know, new, new aged uh, approach where it's like there's some additional content you can get. There's some discount offer. There's some uh, personal concierge onboarding or walkthrough for people that attended that conference. I think I would do something conference based um, where I could actually get in front of real buyers, not just again. I think a lot of conferences tend to be like peers. So I don't want to get in front of other marketers. I want to get in front of like people who can you know, spend money on my stuff. And in terms of measuring success, you mentioned that it's often been six months after doing something like that, that you've actually seen people spend money with you. Is, is that a reasonable length of time to actually have to give before you can actually measure the success of that kind of activity? Yeah, again, it depends on what you're doing and what you're selling. Um, you might bump into someone or talk to someone who needs your thing that minute and then you talk to them three days later and follow up and they buy immediately uh that would be great in b2b that's not often the case um again it's like if if they need something specific or if you do something that's very specific there's going to take a little bit of time or need for something like that to develop Uh, and another example here is we i went to a small group dinner with like seven or eight people one time and again the mix of those people is very important here but I think we end up working with like half of them in the next year. Uh, and so that was uh, a lot of money, as you could imagine. And there's there's no like I can't I can't replicate as, as much as we want to talk about things like Loom and everything else. It, that's very difficult to replicate. Uh, and that's very difficult to have that sort of uh, conversion rate, so to speak, if you want to even think of it like that. So on our app, uh, our conversion rate, you know, conversion rates for a software product are like, I don't know, a, a percent maybe of all traffic you get to the site. Uh, whereas uh, conversion on that dinner was like 50%. So, right. you know, I'll, I'll take, you know, the, the big money one any day. Well, to finish off, let's um, shift the focus to someone else who deserves it. The, that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them? And where can we find them? Yeah, definitely. Uh, this will be slightly self-serving. I think uh, one of the one of the people we work with, Jeremy Moser at uh, Usurp is great. Uh, I think I think what's interesting about him is most marketers are good at marketing. That's not uh, always a surprise. What is a surprise is when marketers are also good at like operations and scale. So in other words, um, most companies, I think, struggle with doing like if if you read an article, we talked about a lot of tactics today. If you read an article about link building, a lot of times you'll see articles for link building, like 101 link building tactics. Uh, the truth of that is you don't need 101 link building tactics. You need like two or three link building tactics and you need to do them really, really well. And you need to do them hundreds, if not thousands of times a month. And so I think that's what I look for. I always get really impressed by people um, like that. And we've had clients like that too, where from the outside, you wouldn't guess it, but from internally, uh, it's actually like a really, really well-oiled machine behind their operation. And that's usually what dictates success. It's not, it's not some, you know, mythical, uh, unicorn influencer that uh is just kind of like uh what's the old expression like oz like the the guy behind the the, the guy behind the the machine you know behind the curtain yeah 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the expression. It's a lot of times I think success, especially if you're talking about like growing a large company or a lot of revenue, it becomes from, you know, a, a well-oiled machine, not just like mm -hmm. an individual or two. Absolutely superb stuff. Um, so this was episode 248 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Brad Smith from uh, Wordabo.io shared great tips about B2B, SEO, and viral success. Um, you shared um, a few tips on people also ask. I love using that feature in Google. You talked about the hub and spoke model where you shouldn't necessarily focus all your efforts on your own website. Think about other websites as well. Your core big piece may be on your own website. Another new related article on other websites as well, getting links back to your site as well. You shared a great resource called Headline Hacks as well, where people can improve their headlines and make their articles more viral as well. Your secret software was Loom. You're next on the lift, uh, list. You had lots of um, advice there as well. I guess you talked about more video, Vidyard, um, other tools like that, but it was, uh, in essence, it was around focusing more on video and personal relationships and probably veering away from big 10,000 word articles and really thinking about individuals. And then finally, your magical marketer was Jeremy Moser from Usurp. Everything Brad mentioned in today's show and more will be listed in the podcast show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Brad, what's the best social platform for someone to follow you and say hi? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say LinkedIn now. Now I'm going to completely uh, be a hypocrite. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn at uh, BS Marketer, and uh, that's pretty much the, the most active as, as I get socially. Superb. Okay, well, I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts and video shows for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com